Father, thank you for being so gracious and kind and loving toward us. Thank you for the many blessings that you poured out upon our lives. We thank you most of all for Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord. Thank you for his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection. Thank you for the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I pray that you'll speak to us today from First Peter. Uh, guide us and direct us. We thank you for your precious word and pray that uh, it will be so very real to us this afternoon. Thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen us. And uh, thank you for every person here. Bless each one and their families. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we are in First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, the section entitled Encouragement, verses 10 through 12. Um, a, a suffering people. I, I brought a couple of things with me today. Just thought you might have some interest in it. One is a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. It's free, and it comes out monthly. This is the June issue, so uh, it comes about a month early. And this month's issue focuses on North Korea, and it is focused on the suffering church. It's an excellent, excellent magazine, and it will really help you be informed about what's going on around the world and, and to know how to pray and where the crises are. And, and North Korea is the worst of the worst. And so uh, I encourage you, Voice of the Martyrs, just go online and Type in Voice of the Martyrs, and I guarantee you'll get there. It's a great magazine. And they'll be glad to accept a contribution from you if you wish, but it is free of charge. And so if you'd like to have the magazine, I know that you would be blessed by it. I also brought a notebook that I keep in my office. It's called the World Watch List, and they put out a new list every year. So this is the 2019 edition. And it's put out by an organization called Open Doors. And it lists, they put out an annual report at the beginning of each year. So this came out in January. And it lists the top 50 countries where it is the most dangerous to live for Jesus. And it's fascinating information on various countries, what's going on in those countries. It's colorful, filled with maps and all kinds of charts and things like that. But just, I'll, I'll share with you the top five. I don't have time to do any more than that. But the top five countries as far as danger in being a Christian is, number one, North Korea, the, um, the Kim family, is, uh, they're despots, can't be trusted. They persecute Christians intensely, and they're number one. It's the worst in all the world. Number two is Afghanistan. Uh, it's an Islamic state, and so everything that goes with that, Afghanistan is dangerous. Somalia is number three. The third, and is also a, um, it's ruled by Sharia law. You've heard of Sharia law. Um, there's some who would like to bring Sharia law to pockets of America. Um, please, we can't do that. But Somalia is ruled by Sharia law, and it's dangerous to be a Christian. Libya is number four. I don't think any of these surprise you. Number five is Pakistan. 
So we could keep going, but those are, those are the top five, and probably none of the top 50 would surprise you. Um, one might, one that might surprise you, um, the tenth most dangerous country in the world for Christians is India. So that has personal application to us, doesn't it? And so it, it is a fascinating book. You're welcome to come thumb through it if you'd like to when we're done in a little bit. Um, let me read part of an article written by Mindy Belds. Um, she says, the persecution index is rising. Instinctively, you know this is true when you see headlines of major newspapers devoted to the latest Boko Haram violence against Christians in Nigeria or Muslim mobs chasing a poor Christian family in Pakistan. But the monitoring group, Open Doors, just had their notebook in my hand, puts statistics to the stories, and its 2019 World Watch list was released on January 16th. That's what I held in my hand. Last year, one in nine Christians experienced serious persecution. Now, serious persecution is not somebody making fun of you. Serious persecution is where you may die for being a Christian. One out of every nine Christians last year experienced serious persecution. It's a 14% increase over the year before. Christians are enduring high levels of persecution in 73 different countries. That's a lot. The rise of Christian persecution is significant not only for followers of Christ. It follows a rise in state authoritarianism in places like China and rising nationalism in India and elsewhere. Take a look at the watch list top ten and you will see countries whose, rep- whose repression impoverishes their own people and threatens their neighbors, including us. And then it lists the top four that I just read a minute ago. The freedom to believe is the first freedom, making possible all others for all people. She goes on to write, the obvious question and one I'm frequently asked is, what can we do? She said, I used to dodge that question by saying I'm just a reporter. But she says, I want to try to answer it. Because she said, First John 3.16 says we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. And she said that is becoming a reality in my life. So she says pray, and you can use a guide like this or, or, or the voice of the martyrs as a prayer guide. Number two, support missionaries around the world who are trying to reach people for Christ and are standing against a tide of persecution. Uh, befriend someone from another country who lives here and help them to understand the reality of Christianity. And then she also says, receive the news of persecution by allowing it to deepen your own appreciation for the cost of following Jesus. Roughly 70% of the world's Christians live without the right to worship freely. 70% of Christians live in countries where they do not have the right to worship freely. That's stunning. The rest of us, the other 30%, have great religious privilege for which we're thankful. The 70, then she says something that really touched my heart. The 70% 
isn't the portion that's isolated from the body of Christ. It's the 30% that's isolated from the global persevering chorus. Any index of persecution ultimately is most helpful when it leads fellow believers to join that global persevering chorus. So a good article, and let's join the persevering chorus, even though we live in freedom at the moment. Let's join the persevering chorus of believers who are suffering around the world. So that's who Peter's writing to. And you come to verse 10, 11, and 12, and he offers encouragement. And uh, he's already been doing that. But in verses 3 through 9, you'll remember he lays out the privilege of our salvation, how awesome, how great is our salvation. So he comes to verse 10, and I want to read 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So he's offering encouragement to these believers and consequently also to us. And he is saying the first offer of encouragement comes from the prophets. All of Israel's prophets from Moses onward stood in the presence of God to receive his word and then spoke the word to the people as God instructed them to do. Peter tells us in these three verses that we read that the prophets' best days were spent searching out salvation's fulfillment. When is it going to come? How will it come? Who will be the Messiah? In verse 11, he talks about the search. Notice again, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them, in the, in the prophets, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. They, the prophets, were given insight into salvation's mystery that the Christ would be a suffering Christ, a suffering Savior, and that only after suffering would he be given the subsequent glories. Now, for... The Jews of Peter's day, Christ's day, that was unacceptable because they wanted a Christ of glory, not a Christ of suffering. Yet Peter's early readers were saved by such a gospel as he lays out here for us. This, therefore, was encouraging. This is encouraging to the recipients of this letter. It's encouraging to them to know that uh, they are following the way uh, of, of, of Christ and that his way was by suffering for us. And so they identify, these early believers identify in their suffering with a suffering Savior. 
And Jesus himself said, if you remember, I paraphrase, he said, whatever they do to me, they're going to do to you. They'll do to you what they've done to me. And, and how absolutely true that, that has been. So Peter's early readers were saved by the very gospel that we find here and that the prophets were proclaiming. Yet Peter's, th- th- this is encouraging. The life they were living was filled as it was with difficulties, mirrored the Messiah, mirrored the Messiah in whom they put their trust. So the encouragement begins to swell even greater if you look again at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. Now, do you get, he's saying to the early believers, and of course to us, the prophets were thinking about you. They were serving you when they wrote what they wrote. The prophets knew that they were serving a future generation. And so on their part, there was no self-pity. And he's saying to believers who read this letter, let there be no self-pity among you, but understand our lives are mirroring our suffering Savior. And he himself said, they'll do to you what they did to me. And so that's becoming a reality. We see it ourselves. The prophets were rejected in their own day. Which one of the prophets can you name that everybody thought was awesome blossom and they said, oh, what a great prophet. We love what you're saying. Hit us again. (laughs) You know, this time hit us in the belly. No, hit us in the head. Come on, prophets. Hit us again. Well, you know, none of the prophets were appreciated by the people. Rather, many of them were persecuted. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we think of um, a, um, a prophet who was martyred like uh, Isaiah. But, but even listen to the words of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, Daniel said, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. <clears throat> and then he said in the next chapter, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business, and I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. And then a couple of chapters more over, we won't read any more than this, Daniel said, while he was saying this to me, while he was getting his vision, I bowed with my face toward the ground, and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. So you see what the the, the prophets were experiencing as God spoke to them in Daniel's case here in, in a vision. And it was exhausting and it was terrifying and it filled them with, with anguish. And yet Daniel and the other prophets knew the importance of, of their message. And what is it that gave them the strength to go on? Verse 11 tells us it was the Spirit of Christ in them. It was the Spirit of Christ in them. And what is it? First century believers 
as Peter writes to you, what is it that keeps you going in the face of persecution? It is the Spirit of Christ in you. What is it, 2019 believers, that keeps you going in times of suffering and sorrow and hurt and pain? What is it that keeps us going? It is the Spirit of Christ who dwells within us. So this message of Peter given to those first century suffering recipients was offered as a word of encouragement and leap forward a couple of thousand years and understand that it is the same intent now that these words will offer us encouragement no matter what we may experience. And we we can't even begin to imagine what yet may be coming. Now, he says, if you go back to First Peter, back to verse 12, he talks about preachers. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you and they spoke of the things that had been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So they're the prophets and they're also those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Uh, let's leap forward to the day in which Peter lived. Who would have been some of those preachers? John the baptizer. How about Peter himself? How about James and John and Paul, Andrew, Nat, Matthew, Thomas, preaching the gospel to you? God sent more than the prophets. He sent preachers to who went out and at great risk to their own lives and in the midst of great suffering themselves and the turmoil of travel, they went out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And Peter says they did that for you. So the, the, the recipients of this letter are hearing the prophets, the preachers, they did this not looking at themselves or in the case of the prophets at their own generation, but looking ahead to you. And then in verse 12, he reminds us of angels and says, even angels long to look into these things. Um, Where do you rank yourself in comparison to angels? Well, you know where you should rank yourself in comparison to angels? Up here. Jesus didn't die for an angel. He died for you. He died for you. Uh, if my guardian angel is in the room somewhere, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> but all these people are more important than you are. Jesus died for such as you and me. God sent more than the prophets. He sent preachers. And then the message of the angels, they long to see things that you and I are able to see. I think Peter's kind of fired up here, really. Um, The message is so great that angels are at rapt attention watching it unfold. What a marvelous story for them to see. So let me summarize as best I can. The prophets labored their entire lives to present the true gospel to us. Preachers have traveled the globe to ensure that the gospel gains a hearing before people like us. 
angels would like nothing better than to gaze into what God has done for us. Surprise, Peter says. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. Prophets, preachers, angels wish they could see what you see, experience what you experience. That's an amazing love. Ancient prophets, itinerant preachers, and exalted angels have stood in service to this salvation that has come to folks like you and me. The fullness of your salvation has been the joyful business of God's servants over the centuries. So we as a people who may find ourselves suffering take great encouragement from the immeasurable love that God has demonstrated for us. Gives us a surge of spiritual fortitude, doesn't it? Causes us to say, you know what, I'm going to stay faithful. I don't care what comes. I'm staying faithful. You're not going to drag me down. I'm going to stay faithful to Jesus. So having said that, let's leapfrog to verse 13. We've got enough time, I think, to pursue 13 through 15. Well, we'll see how far we get. I've entitled this section, Reflections on the Difference Salvation Should Make in a Believer's Life. Reflections on the Difference Salvation Should Make in a Believer's Life. Let me read verse 13. Therefore, now when you see the word therefore, what does that? Based on what came before, therefore. So, therefore, since you have received salvation and its benefits, and he mentions three in this first chapter. Can you see that? Neither could I. That's why. I'm... I thought it'd be fun to write an orange today, but not much fun if you can't see it. We have new birth, we have been born again, we have been changed from the inside out, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, we aren't who we used to be, we thank God we've been transformed from the inside out. So we have new birth, we have a living hope. living hope found in Christ Jesus, and we have um, um, an assured inheritance. Okay, hope I spelled everything correctly. An assured Inheritance. In, the, in this chapter, he's listed all three of those things that are our benefits, our, 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 our blessing, new birth, a living hope in Christ Jesus, a hope that cannot be extinguished by anything or anybody, and we have an assured inheritance. That's why this, this last one, That's why only the Christian can say at any point, at any time, the best is yet to be. No matter how good it may be today, 
The best is yet to be. And no matter how bad it may be today, rest assured, the best is yet to be. So in good times and in bad times, you can look at that and always say, the best is yet to be. Aren't you glad? I love hanging around with you. And I love being at this church, and I love my house, and I certainly love my family. Um, but I know we hadn't seen anything yet. We have an assured inheritance that is beyond anything we can imagine. And so Peter is saying, I know it hurts. I know you're suffering. I know you're scattered. I know you've been persecuted. I know you've lost loved ones. I know it's hard. Believe me, Peter knew he spoke with first-hand authority. I know it's hard. But remember, take heart. You have a new birth, a living hope, and an assured inheritance. The best is yet to be. So, therefore, what he says in verses 13 through 25 is on the basis of all of this, you and I should be distinctive in the way in which we live. We are not like everyone else. We should be distinctive in the way that we live. And he lists four areas of distinction in this passage. And they are, I'll just read them out loud and then we'll go back and take each one. Hope, holiness, fear of God, and loving one another, those four. Four areas of distinction that Peter mentions. Hope, holiness, fear of God, loving one another. Okay, so let's go back to hope. And that's verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Stop. Hope. I see at least two subpoints. One is prepare your minds for action. Therefore, with minds that are alert, prepare your minds for action. Now, the literal translation of that, if we were to go stilted literal translation, would be gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. What does that give you a picture of? Someone wearing a flowing robe and they're getting ready to do some manual labor or they're going to run or they're going to move quickly and so that will be hampered to them so they pull up their skirt and they tie it off up here and they're ready to go. That's that's what he's talking about. That's the picturesque language that Peter uses. Prepare your minds for action. Be ready for what God has in store. Alert and fully sober, I think I've written it, totally self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Set your mind on the grace that is yours and will be yours in the future. Christ will return and justice will be done. Don't ever forget it. It can, be, it can be frustrating sometimes, can it? When you see evildoers seemingly prosper and people who love Jesus suffer. 
probably pretty tough to take. Well, just remember, take the long view. Jesus is coming again. Justice will be done. Have no fear of that. Now, prepare your minds for action. Be totally self-controlled. You have a hope that is founded on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he offers that encouragement. Four areas of distinction. We live in hope. Now, part of our issue as English speakers, or English as a first language for most of us, is that the word hope has become so convoluted that it almost loses its meaning. We use it all the time. I I hope my wife fixes something I like for dinner. I hope it doesn't rain because I've got a picnic planned. I hope my team wins the game this weekend. I hope this, I hope that. The biblical word for hope is not a wish. What is it? It's a certainty. It is a certainty. The word hope means certainty. We live in the hope, in the certainty of Jesus Christ and His grace and His love for us. That helps us to look at that word hope in a biblically realistic way. Now, the next, and we'll stop with this one, holiness. This ought to be the next distinctive. So we as believers, suffering we may be, if not now, later, it's coming. Everybody suffers. Sometimes your suffering is a direct result of living for Jesus. Sometimes your suffering is a result of being alive on the face of planet Earth. But our distinctiveness is that we live in hope and that we live in holiness. Why? Because of the new birth, the living hope, the assured inheritance. Therefore, I can live in hope and I can live in holiness. You see the connection of the lines. We live in holiness. Look at verse 14, 15, and 16. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He starts out in verse 14 by identifying us as children, obedient children. A reminder, we belong to him. That's that's why he uses the word children. We belong to him. And so he says, live in holiness. The way I've worded the outline is because you have been converted, because you are saved, live in holiness and be holy. You are a changed man. You're a changed woman. You aren't who you used to be. And so live in holiness because you've been converted and then live in holiness because of your redemption. Verses 15 and 16. Now, here's the way I want to end it. He called you. He's holy. So be holy too. He called you, drew you to himself. He's holy. So be holy also. Now, next time, we'll pick up the last two. We live in hope. We live in holiness. 
Why? Because of the new birth, the living hope, and the assured inheritance. So our way of living is to live in hope and to be holy. Two more next time, fear God and loving one another. We'll pick those up and zip on through the rest of chapter 1. How about that? Get one chapter out of the way. Father, uh, wow, you love us so much and we are astonished and amazed. We, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Don't, I can't figure out why in the world you would love me. But I, I am so thankful that you do. And I thank you for the way you've demonstrated that love in your son Jesus. And I am a grateful, grateful man. And I pray that all of us will leave this room today in gratitude with a desire to live in hope and to live in holiness. Bring us together again next time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all.